So today we're going to talk about one of the most important relationships in your, in your life. This is somebody that you talk to the most, somebody that you listen to the most. This is the person that you spend the most time with. It's someone you probably get the most frustrated with and yet also probably find the most delight in. It's somebody you trust the most and probably fear the most. It's somebody that you were born with and will die with. We're going to talk about your relationship with yourself. And if this relationship is off-center, then all the other relationships in your life will be off-center. If this relationship is a mess, then all the other relationships in your life will be a mess. And for many millennia, people, philosophers, religious leaders, business leaders, anybody, authors, celebrities have known that one of the most important things is self-knowledge, self-awareness. This is one of the most important things. It's one of the biggest signs of wisdom in somebody's life, and yet also often one of the most elusive things to have. But here's what some people have said about knowing yourself. Here's what people have said. Know thyself. Socrates, a famous quote that probably most of you have heard. Adam Smith, a father of modern economics, said, The first thing you have to know is yourself. A man who knows himself can step outside himself and watch his own reactions like an observer. Benjamin Franklin, one of our founding fathers, said, Observe all men, thyself most, and also said, There are three things extremely hard. Steel, a diamond, and to know oneself. That everybody agrees for many, many years, people have known this, that one of the most important things is to be able to know yourself. And yet it's very difficult, is it not? One of the most difficult things is to know yourself. There's whole industries built around this. This is where we have things like personality tests or the Myers-Briggs or the DISC test, behavior tests, that many of you have taken these things, maybe in the context of your own life online or, or maybe in your company to help staffs and teams work together, that one of the most important things that people have recognized is it's good to have a self-awareness, a self-knowledge, and yet we find it difficult. So we have to take these tests and find out, am I a... ENTJ or an INPJ or what am I? I'm some four-letter word, but what, what am I? We have to figure it out. This is why even just on a more popular level, I saw dozens even this week on Facebook. Some of you probably took the test that was going around this week and last week of what city should you really live in? Where do you really belong? Or what Star Wars character are you? Or what Muppet are you? I saw one of those. Or I mean, there's all these different types of tests out there and we're drawn to those things because there's something about self-knowledge that is elusive. We know it's important, and yet often we don't know ourselves. And the Bible would agree with this sentiment, where the Bible teaches that the heart is deceptive above all things. That often we think something is right and it's wrong. That often we feel led in this direction, but we really should go this direction. That we think this is who we are, and yet we are really like this. That self-knowledge is something that eludes us so often because we forget who we are. We don't know who we are. See, think about this. If you do not know who you are, even at a Facebook, what city should you live in level, what about spiritually? What about spiritually? And the Bible would teach that we often forget who it is that we are. 
See, if you're not a Christian, and if you haven't grown up in the church, or if maybe this is even your first Sunday in a church, or maybe it's been a long, long time, then you have not ever figured out who it is that you really are, who it is that you're made to be, who it is that you're designed to be. That's part of why we exist as a church, is to help people discover not just who God is, yes, but also who it is that you truly are. But if you are a Christian, if you have known Jesus for a while, we continually forget who it is that we are. Over and over and over again, forgetting who we really are. That it's important to know ourselves on a most basic level and even more so on a spiritual level. And yet we often continually forget who we are. And all of this is the question of identity. This is all the question of identity. Who are you? Who you are is your identity. And this can come out in simple ways when you meet somebody for the first time and they ask you, hey, who are you? Tell me a little bit about yourself. And you describe to them who you are. Or this can come out on your Facebook profile, your interests, what relationship you're in, what school you went to. Who are you? What's your identity? What is it about you that is unique or distinctive? What do you look to as a sense of worth, as a sense of value, as a sense of meaning? Who are you? This is a very important question, this question of identity. What is it in your life that you look to and say, this is how I know I'm somebody. This is how I know I'm worth living. This is how I get meaning and value. This is the kind of person I desire to be or that I see myself currently as. This is the question of identity. Who are you? All of us build our identity on something. We all build our life on something. We all live for something. All of us get our identity from something, someone, somewhere. We're all building our life on a foundation. We're all letting everything else orbit around a center in our lives. This is identity. And here's what the Bible teaches about identity. See, the Bible says that sin is building your identity on something other than God. And often it talks about this in terms of worship. So this is in Romans. The Apostle Paul, one of the early Christian teachers, and wrote most of the New Testament. This is what he says. And let me, let me read this and I'll point out some things to you along the way about identity, which the Bible often talks about in worship terms. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. So let me stop there. What this says is that the wrath of God, the anger of God, the judgment of God, is coming against people that are unrighteous and ungodly. So when you think of those terms, unrighteous and ungodly, you might think of people that kill baby pandas or people that are in Al-Qaeda or people that are doing all sorts of horrible, terrible things, people that litter, all sorts of crazy things. I know that all three of those aren't on the same scale, okay? Littering is much worse. But for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness. So what's it talking about? It says, who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth about God. See, 
God has created this world and it says that his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So here's the situation. It says that God's wrath and his judgment is coming against people who have not given glory to God, honor to God, or thanks to Him. That, that they look around in the world and see, okay, there's a Creator. It's evident. It's easy to see is what, is what He says here. God has shown it to them. What can be known about God is plain to them. See, most people, this is true, right? Most people look outside and would say, there's a God. There are people that are atheists, and if that's something that you... Um, are unsure about. I'd love to talk with you about that. There's there's a place for you here to to be in this discussion. But most people would say, there is a God. There's some sort of supernatural reality out there. And yet, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. That's what it calls ungodly, literally ungodly, unrighteous. That people that know there's a God, that people that have the sense that there's a God because it's evident in the world around them, in the creation around them, that there's an awareness, there's a knowledge, that there's an ultimate reality, there's a God, and yet they suppress that truth and live their life not in gratitude, not in thankfulness of God, not giving honor and glory to God in their life, not having God at the center of their life, but rather just living life as they want to live it, even though there's this knowledge. And that's suppressed. It's put away. So many of you would probably say, yes, I know there's a God, or I'm pretty sure, you know, I'm not 100%, but there's probably a God. There's some ultimate reality there. But is, is God at the center of your life? Is God the controlling factor in your life? Is God the foundation of your life? Many people would say there's a God, and yet they do not honor him as God or give thanks to him as God. And here's what he says next. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. That the longer you go on this way, the more things become unclear. The longer you go on this way, the harder it is to see spiritual truth. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is talking about when people set up statues to different idols. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And this sentence here, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, many commentators will tell you that in the original language, that this says they exchanged the truth about God for the lie. See, the great lie is this. You have, you have two choices. You can worship and serve the creator or created things. There's two options. There's the creator and then everything else which is created. That can be people, that can be jobs, that can be success, it can be comfort, it can be, it can be the sun, it can be good things in our lives, it can be entertainment, it can be family, it can be marriage, it can be many different things. And what happened is that these people, though there was a truth about God that they knew, suppressed that and instead in their lives 
worshipped, which is to say got their sense of worth and value and the greatest thing that they loved, what was at the center of their life, was created things instead of the creator. There's two options. There's the creator and there's created things. And they exchange the truth about God for the lie. The lie that something else should be worshipped. That something else should be at the center of our lives. That something else we should build our lives upon. See, the Bible talks about identity often in these terms. We are not made just to believe in God. In just a cognitive sense. We're not made just to believe in God. But but what he says here is to honor God and give thanks to God. To give glory to God. Glory, that word, is to give its weightiness. What has most weight in your life? So you're not just made to believe that there's some God out there. But we are made to worship him. To have him at the center of our very lives. And that sin is when something else becomes at the center of your life. Sin is doing bad things and it's not doing good things. All of that is true, okay? But a definition that's very important is that sin is something else that takes the center place in your life instead of God. It's not just to believe in God, but something that has taken captive your heart. Something that has the central Part of your life. What is weighty to you? What is at the center for you? When, whatever we love, we use these language. I mean, many songs on the radio, or if you are a romantic person yourself, you will have said this to someone at some point. You are the center of my universe. You are my world. You are my everything. Even there's an old country song, You Save Me, Kenny Chesney, in case you were interested. That when we speak of something that we love, we often say, you are the center of my world. You're everything to me. You are my universe. See, if you think about life as you think about the planets, the sun is your identity. What is the sun for you? What does everything else revolve around? What has weight to you, glory to you? See, the reason that the planets revolve around the sun is because of its gravitational pull. Because it is most heavy. So it pulls all other things towards it. And everything else orbits around it. Because it's most weighty. Is that God for you? Or is it something else for you? What revolves around your life? The things in your life. Your job. Your family. Your boyfriend. Girlfriend. Spouse. All the different things in your life. What is it that they revolve around? Is it God Is it God? See, what sin is, is having something else at that center. And we all will have something at that center. All of us will have something there. All of us get our value, our meaning, our sense of worth. Something is in that center for you. Something's in that center. And the Bible talks about that which we give weight to, that which we give thanks to, that which we give honor to, If it's not God, that is sin. It's building your identity on something other than God. It's having at the center something other than God. That's very different from just normal morality of right and wrong, because these can be very good things. 
Sometimes if you look at your life and you just ask the question, is this right? Is this wrong? Well, that can lead you and you should ask that question different times in your life. But if you just ask, is this right or is it wrong? That's not the same thing as saying, what's at the center? Because all these different things can be revolving around your life with something other than God at the center. They can be very good things, but if it's not God, it's still something else that you are putting most weight in, that you're building your life upon. And all of your life will flow out of your identity. All of your big choices, all of your small choices, everything in your life will flow out of your identity. What it is that you say, this is what makes me a valuable, worthwhile human being. This is who I want to be. This is who I am. Think about it this way. Let me give you a few examples. If, if, let me tell you what happens when something besides God is at the center. Let's say it's beauty. And beauty is the thing that you say, this is what makes me valuable. I'm a beautiful person. Do you think this is an issue in our culture? Yes, it very much is, right? Because I'm beautiful, I have worth. Because I'm beautiful, I have value. Because I'm beautiful, I know I'm somebody. Then what happens when you begin to get older and things begin to fade and things begin to disappear? People freak out about that. Or what happens if somebody doesn't think you're beautiful? Or you want people to think that you're beautiful and you aren't sure if they do? What happens with that? Or what happens if success is at the center of your life? That what you do in your life is built around success. And then you don't get promoted or someone else gets the job that, that you wanted to have. Or that career uh, turns out that the economy has changed and it's an obsolete career now. What happens if that was center? This happens, I mean, several years ago, right? When all the banks and all of the financial downturn, people jump off buildings, all this stuff. It's horrible because if your identity is built in success and career, when that goes away, what happens to you? You're not just hurt. You're not just disappointed. You're crushed. What happens if, if friendship is at the center? What happens if, what's, if how you find your identity is in, I'm a social person. I've got lots of friends. And then let's say that all those friends get married and you're left single and they don't hang out with you anymore. And you got your sense of identity from them, from being this friend in this friend group. Or maybe you're just relocated to a different city and you have no friends. You have to make new friends and maybe it's not as easy as it was before for some reason. If your sense of identity was in these friends and being a social person, and I'm the person that has friends, I've always been the person that has friends. Right? We're taught from a very young age. We're even, our identities are even spoken into us at a very young age. Some of you have been told for a long time, you're the pretty one. You're the fun one. You're such a smart kid. You're such a talented kid. Those things begin spoken into us by parents and teachers and coaches and friends and family and begin to shape who we are. Sometimes it's negative things. Sometimes you're stupid. And that begins to shape our identity. See, whatever our identity is, our life flows out of that. Our life flows out of it. What I want you to do is think of identity as your dream house. And I don't know if those are your dream houses, what they look like, but I want you to think of identity as a dream house. And it's, is this any of your houses, by the way? Because I'd like to come over if it is. 
Um, think of identity as a dream house. It's this thing that you are envisioning. It's this thing that you're working towards. It's this thing that you're building towards. So imagine that you've got this blueprint for your dream house and you're laying down the planks and you're, I've never built a house. You're putting the wood and you're nailing things and caulking things and smearing things, right? You're doing all sorts of construction-y things and you're building this house, right? And that's your life is working towards this image. Your life is working towards this is what I'm living for. This is what I want. This is what I'm building. This is what I'm aiming at in life. So think of your identity, what it is as this dream house. Here's things that happen. Let me give you four or five things that happen. If God is not at the center, if something else is at the center, and think, we'll talk about it in terms of a house. So the first one is this. If it's taken away from you, you're crushed. If it's taken away from you, you're crushed. If your identity, if your dream house is being respected, I want people to respect me. I want to be somebody that's respected by others. I want my opinions to be valued. I want my thoughts to be valued. I want people to treat me with respect. I want people to to look at me and want to talk to me about things or take my ideas with, with credibility. I want people to respect me. If that's your dream house, and, and that's what you're working towards, the, the dream house version might be someday that whatever career you're in, you're the most respected. In your family, you're the most respected. In your friends, you're the most respected. That would be the dream house completion of it. But right now, is that is the dream house, what if that's taken away? What if it's threatened? What if, what if somebody actually calls you out and says, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard? What if people stop looking to you? Maybe, maybe for a while people respected you because you were successful and they, they wanted to come to you and then things start to change and you're no longer as respected. Your cred is no longer as powerful as it once was. Then that's like somebody took a big wrecking ball to the top floor. It's like somebody just crashed out all the windows if this is your identity, if this is your image, and that's beginning to be threatened, if it's beginning to be taken away, it's not just an unfortunate thing. It feels not just like an insult, but an assault. It feels not just like somebody's insulting you, but that they're assaulting you. Because they're messing with your dream house. They're messing with your very identity. Or think about this way. Maybe, maybe your identity is, is what you see as value, what you would see is this is how I know I'm worthwhile. This is how I know that life would have meaning and purpose. This is, this is who I want to be. Is, maybe it's married. I know many of you are single. So maybe it's to be married. And you're in a relationship. And then it doesn't go well. It actually begins to go south. And then you break up. And you're single. That's not just... Okay, it didn't work out. It's, oh my goodness. My, I was working towards the dream house. I, I thought I was getting there. I thought we had, we had the pillars up and we had the painting there. And, and then it's gone. It's gone. It's your identity, not just an unfortunate thing that takes place. What's at the center? If something is at the center other than God, when it's taken away, it feels as if someone is shattering your dream home. 
not just an unfortunate thing. Here's what else happens. You look down on other people that don't share your version. See, if you imagine that these two houses, which are very different, you can see, if these two houses were on the same block, this guy in the more traditional-looking house could look at the more modern-looking house and think, what a joke. This guy doesn't know how to build a house. That's not what a dream house is supposed to look like. See, when there's, when there's something at the center of your life, if other people don't have that as the center, it's really easy to look down on them. It's really easy to think less of them. I was thinking about this in my own life. What can be a temptation for me as a pastor, as somebody that studies and reads and teaches, what can be at the center for me, what can be a temptation for me is to find my identity in being a person of understanding, having the ability to have wisdom and to teach. That can be a temptation for me to build an identity upon. So then what happens if somebody challenges that? What happens if someone says, you're not that smart. What you say isn't that insightful. That can be a temptation for me not to just go, okay, well, we have a difference of opinion. I'm right. You're wrong. I mean, we have a difference of opinion, but it can actually be, man, you're, you're assaulting my dream home. Or when I look at other people that don't have understanding, that don't, that don't study, that don't, it can be easy for me to think, well, we're not just different. You're less than me. It's not just difference of personality. You're, you have kind of a stupid dream house, actually. I'm sorry. Or if you think about loyalty, I was thinking about this as well. Some of you are very loyal people. It's just who you've always been. And you get a sense of identity from that. But if other people aren't as loyal as you, you think way less of them. If they're not as committed as you, you think way less of them. Because you're getting your sense of righteousness from that. You're getting your sense of worth from that. So you have to look down on other people that don't share it. These two houses side by side, if this is the dream home, and they're very different, and this person is pouring their life out towards this, you've seen this even in the real world with houses. They do look at other people and go, yeah, well, I mean, I guess if you want to call that a dream house, but it's not as nice as this version. You look down on other people who don't share it. There's also relational collision that takes place. If these two houses share the same block, but they have competing and differing versions of a dream house. This guy wants his palm trees to grow all over the place and be lush and beautiful, but this guy wants a clear view to be able to see everything. This guy wants a really tall, modern-looking home, and this guy thinks that's an eyesore. See, in the real world, that happens. When our identities collide, think about in a marriage, this often happens, or in close relationships, where one person or one spouse gets their sense of identity from spontaneity, and I'm an easygoing person, I'm a flexible person, I've always been like that. I'm easygoing, I'm flexible, I go with the wind, life is good, and they get a sense of worth from that. That's how they... That's how they think, man, I'm, I'm somebody because I'm an easygoing, free, loving, life-loving person. People like to be around me because of that. But the other person gets a sense of value and worth from structure and organization and things going in the proper way and timeliness. Those can really collide because they're separate identities. 
There's separate versions and visions of what a dream house is. That when someone else bumps up against yours, it doesn't quite work out so well. Or think about in the work world. If your identity is built on achievement and somebody else's is built on approval, having people like them, having people enjoy them, those things collide all the time in the work world. If your identity is built on, I want to be a successful, hard-working, achieving person, but somebody else is built on, I want people to like me, what if you hurt their feelings? What if you hurt their feelings? What if because you're working so hard and you're built around achievement, you're not going to care if you hurt their feelings a little bit. It's about getting stuff done. It's about the job. It's about the numbers. It's about the goals. It's about the metrics. If I hurt your feelings, it's okay. Come on. We're, aren't we all working for this? No, maybe not this person. Maybe they're working because they like to be around people and they want people to like them and they want people to enjoy them. So they're going to take everything you say as a personal offense And you're going to think that they're lazy and that they just need to get over it and be a part of the mission and and getting things done. And you might have a performance review where you're told, look, you're not doing a good job. What do you mean I'm not doing a good job? Look at my numbers. Look at my progress. Yeah, but you're kind of hard to work around. So what? Look, isn't the bottom line better? But there's competing identities. There's competing dream homes. Also, what can happen is that it can be self-defeating. Think about a person that, back to approval, somebody that really wants people to like them. What happens with that? If you get your sense of value and your sense of worth and your sense of, this is how I know I'm somebody, if you get that from, if people like me, then I know I've got some value. If you get it from that, if that's your dream home, your, your dream home is people liking you and people being friends with you and people loving you and people hugging you. If, that, if that's your dream home, then what that can do is actually self-defeat because you can fear so much that they won't like you. Fear so much that they won't enjoy you that you actually shut yourself off from relationships. If the identity is people liking you, you can actually run away from even giving them the option. Or, sometimes it's the opposite, you're, you're trying so hard. So in the middle of a conversation, you're always giving, you, me too, yeah, me too. I'm like that, yeah, me, yeah. And those kinds of people, none of us like. But they want so hard to be liked, they want so hard to be enjoyed, that they actually come off as clingy, as smothering, as know-it-alls, as ugh. But their dream version is to be liked. And it can be self-defeating either because they run from the relationships or they try so hard because they're not just trying to have friends. They're getting a sense of identity from that. Or think about this. Comparison is another thing that happens. There can be competing identities where someone has a different identity than you and they collide. But there can also be people that have the same identity as you. See, what happens if you're working on building this dream home and the guy next door is working on building that dream home too? And you've only got the foundation down. And he's finishing the chimney. The third chimney, actually. And you're always going to be comparing. If your identity is built on being a good mom or being a good husband, or being a good wife, or being a good father, or being a good employee. 
then somebody else that shares that, that's killing it, that's doing a good job at it, there's always going to be a comparison there. There's always going to be a comparison that will either do one of two things. Either you will just want to be around them. Hey, can I hang out with you? Can I be around you? And you'll almost worship them. Or it'll be, you won't even be able to compliment them or think well of them at all. Well, of course he's got that house. I bet it's not even made of real wood. I bet it's plastic. Well, of course, he probably funded it through cutting corners and cheating. That if your identity is shared by somebody else, there can always be this comparison. And you're looking at somebody ahead of you. Are you able to give compliments to people that are good at what you're good at? Are you able to give compliments to people that are better at you than what you want to be good at? Are you able to do that? Are you able to be around those people and delight in their success? Or is there always a comparison? Finally, what happens is that it always disappoints. See, if you find your identity in things that were never intended to give you a sense of identity, if you are putting at the center things that were never meant to hold that weight, if you're looking for value and purpose and meaning and to know you're somebody from these things that were never meant to give that, it's always going to disappoint. It's always going to disappoint because it will never be able to provide it. If you look to other people to tell you you are valuable, you are worth, they're never going to be able to do that as well. They're going to critique you sometimes. They're going to criticize you sometimes. They're not going to notice things sometimes. If you put at the center, if your center is work and success, it's going to disappoint because once you get it, once you get success, if that's the dream home, you're going to want another dream home. It'll always disappoint and never be able to satisfy because it's bottomless if God's not at the center. God is the only one that's able to hold that position and hold that weight. Who are you? What's at the center of your life right now? What do you get your sense of value and meaning and worth from that you build your life around? That the other things in your life orbit around? Here's the worst thing that could happen, though. The worst thing that could happen, I was thinking about this, and there's a movie that illustrates this well. The Lion King. Um, this great theological movie. I know, look, you've all seen it. Don't act like you don't, that it's weird that I'm talking about the Lion King and Rafiki, okay? But listen, here's what happens in the Lion King, okay? There's this great analogy because the Lion King is, in a lot of ways, about identity. If you remember from this movie, what happens is Simba goes and lives in the jungle and is having a blast and he's hanging out with friends and he's singing songs and the motto is Hakuna Matata, no worries. And he's just living it up, right? He's got his dream home. He's got this sense of identity, but that's not who he really is. And Rafiki, you didn't think you were going to hear that word in the sermon today. Rafiki has to come along and hit him on the head and tell him, this is not who you are. And then he sees the vision of his dad in the sky, Mufasa, James Earl Jones, and, and he says, remember who you are. And then it echoes, remember, remember. Okay? 
Because Simba's living this identity as just this free-floating, have fun, live in the jungle, live it up. He got what he wanted. See, one of the worst things that could happen to you is you actually get your dream home. That you have a sense of identity that's not God and you actually get it. You actually get it. People do respect you. People do like you. You do get the success. You do get the family. You are the best mom. You are the best husband. You are the best dad. You are the best student. Whatever it is that you are building a sense of identity around, one of the worst things that could happen is you actually get it, but you're made for so much more. And you're living out of an identity that's not who you really are. You're living out of an identity that's not who you were really made to be. See, I think many people live in their dream home. They build it, they work for it, they fight hard for it, and they get the dream home. But man, they need someone like Rafiki to come along and say, remember who you are. This is not who you are. You're made for more than this. God designed you for more than this. And see, even now you can be thinking, okay, but I I do have God in my life. Yeah, but maybe you've given him the guest room in your house. He's a part, but he's not the center. If you go back to the planets orbiting, maybe he's one of the planets orbiting around a different identity. Maybe your identity is, I'm going to be a good, just an all-around good guy. Just going to be an all-around upstanding person. That's what I'm working for. That's what I'm fighting hard for. That's who I want to be. If I'm an all-around good guy, then I know that, I've got some worth. I've got some value. And so God's a piece of that. He's one of the things that is orbiting around that sense of identity. And so is job. And so is family. And so are your morals. And so are all of that goes to serve this identity. But what's at the core? What's at the center? Are you living out of who God says you really are? Or are you living for something else? Are you building your life on something else? When you make decisions, when you live your life, what's at the center? Oh yeah, I believe in God and it's not wrong to do this and it's right to do this. Okay, okay. What's at the center of your life? Are you living out of who you really are? Or are you living out of a different identity? Your identity will lead to your life. And here's how C.S. Lewis talks about this. See, only if you build your identity on God. Let me go back here, actually. Only if you build your identity on God. Only if God is the one at the center. Will you be able to face anything in your life? And will you be able to thrive? And C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, talks about this. And he says that often, one of the reasons why we really struggle with identity, why we struggle with who we are, and even struggle with difficulties in life, is because we're trying to live out of two different selves, two different identities. So he describes it this way. He says that we have the natural self that has its desires and its goals and its dreams and its pleasures and its plans, and and that's what we really want. But then we understand that there's some concept of morality or the common good or maybe it's from religious texts or maybe it's just what we've been taught. This is what a good person is. We, ha- we have that. And sometimes it's in line with our desires and pursuits and natural self. But other times it goes against it. 
And so he says, we're like a man trying to pay his taxes. Where we know, okay, I've, I've got to give this away. But I hope, I, I really want enough money to actually live the life I want to live. And actually be who I want to be. And either what happens is, we give up because it's tiring. It's tiring to have both of these things, to try to live out of our natural self with our identity and also try to balance, okay, but I'm supposed to be good. And We either just give up and do what we want to do. And some of you have felt this. Man, maybe it's even with Christianity or maybe it's just being a good person in general. This is tiring to try to keep this up with what's really I want to do. Or you just give in and go, okay, I'm going to be somebody that just lives for others and I'm going to be a selfless person and not go into what I desire at all. I'm just going to be a selfless person. And you're always somebody that's living for others. And yet then in your life, you really want to make sure people know that. And you become a pest to be around. And he says that Christianity is way different than that. It's both harder and easier. And here's what he says. The Christian way is different. Harder and easier. See, I told you. The Christian way is different. Harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked. The whole outfit, I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. That Christ wants all of you. Not part of you. Not some of you. Not to be one of the pieces orbiting around. Not to be one of the rooms in the house. But says, I want all of you. I don't want you to try to maintain this self and have other pieces added to it. I want all of yourself and I'll give you a new self. And he says it's harder and easier. It's almost impossible to do, he says, to give up yourself. But it's easier than trying to maintain this identity and this identity, this identity and these selfless acts, this identity and some version of morality. It's harder and easier. Here's how the Bible says it. Something very similar. This is the Apostle Paul. And he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is what Paul says. It's no longer I who live. That what's directing my life, that what the force of my life, that what's driving my life, that what's at the center of my life, it's no longer that old part of me. It's something different. It's no longer this identity built on other things. It's no longer this version of a dream home. I'm no longer living for that identity. But instead, I've been crucified with Christ and Christ lives in me. See, this is what this teaches. You've probably heard that Jesus was crucified on a cross. And if you're a Christian, you've heard this many times. And if you're not, I'm sure you've heard it here and there. But this is what happened on the cross. The Bible teaches, as I said, that we put other things at the center instead of God. 
And that's what it calls sin. And so the wrath of God and the judgment of God, as we looked at earlier, is against those things. Not just these bad things we do and good things we don't do, but it could be a, very, a life lived very well, but with something else at the center other than God. And because of that, we deserve God's wrath. We deserve separation from God. We deserve to have other things at the center of our life forever instead of God. But instead, God comes to us in Jesus, and he says, I will take the punishment for that replacement of me. And he goes to the cross, and he dies a death that we should die. This is why Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. He doesn't mean that that he actually was up there on the cross with him. What he means is that since Jesus did that, he did it in his place. Because Jesus lived the perfect life with God at the center. But he took a punishment that he didn't deserve for us. See, I've been crucified with Christ, so his old self is dead. The old self that had at the center other things is dead. All the effects in your life that have come from that, all the damage in your life that has come from that, all the relational drama that has come from having other things at the center, that old self can be crucified with Christ. And then Jesus raised from the dead to new life, to bring us then into new life, It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, it's hard to give yourself up. It's hard to give yourself up. But the only way you'll ever be able to give yourself up is if you see that he gave himself up for you. It's almost impossible to say, I lay down my life. Okay, I I will give myself up. But you can do it if you see that God, that Jesus, saw you perfectly, knew you perfectly, saw all the other things you build your life around, saw all the other things you have at the center that aren't him, and didn't say, hey, come change that, come to me and I'll give you myself, but rather went first and said, I give you myself. I give you my life so that you may have real life, so that you may experience what it means to truly live, so that you may experience Life in me, who you were truly meant to be. See, finding your identity in Christ, finding your identity in Jesus, means that he is at the center instead of other things. And it means because he's at the center, because he has most weight, that you take what he says about you. So you don't need need to build your identity on other people liking you. Because God has already said, you're my child. I approve of you. You don't need to have at the center success and achievement Because God has already said, because of Jesus, you have all things in me. You don't have to have respect or all these different things at the center of your life because you already have all of those things that you would want in Christ. God is our comfort. He is our wisdom. He is our success. He is our peace. All that you would want, your approval, love, Anything that you would be building an identity around, he's already given to you. The old self becomes crucified with Christ. And the new self, because he loved me and gave himself for me, we're able to have a new life. Anything else in your life will fail you. Or you will fail it. Any other thing that you put at the center, it's going to fail you or you will fail it. 
Only Jesus has the power to be at the center and love you and give himself to you even when you fail and even when you fail him. Because we see on the cross his love, his forgiveness, his grace. If at the center is Jesus, you can live a life where you can face anything. If at the center of your identity is Jesus, then all other things will orbit around in their proper place. All other relationships will orbit around in their proper place. Imagine if that happened. What would life be like? What would your small interactions be like with people? They can never shake, they can never threaten your identity in Christ. They can always shake your identity in success, friendship, respect, wisdom, flexibility, compassion, whatever else it might be. But imagine what your life would be like if God was at the center, if you were building your life around and on him. Your daily interactions would change, your relationships would change, your goals, your dreams, everything would change. And in some sense, it would be hard that you're losing yourself. But in another sense, it would be easy because he's giving you himself. 